folks. Thank you for joining us. This is the inaugural podcast for the In Control Family Foundation. This particular series is focused on teen or new drivers. And my name is Dan Strollo. I'm the executive director of the In Control Family Foundation. Today, I have with me Jeremy Randall, and he is our director of operations. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Dan. So we're going to be honest. Uh, I think both of us have done our fair share of interviews, but neither one of us have been interviewers. And it's a well-known fact that I personally enjoy the sound of my own voice. So Jeremy's going to do his best to bounce in here now and then and make sure he gets heard. But our goal with the In Control Family Foundation is to drastically reduce crashes. And we are focused primarily in the New England area. But this podcast is really going to apply to drivers, you know, all across the nation and, and most likely all across the world. Our goal with this whole thing is to put together a series of podcasts initially here for parents of young drivers, either if they have their permit, we, we may actually get into a little bit of detail today on those before their permit and what you should be doing from the ground up. But if you've got your permit and you're trying to figure out how to spend time driving with your teen and in states where a permit's not required, but you just reach a certain age, really just those initial lessons. And if I can emphasize one thing up front, just because your teen gets their license, it does not mean they're out of the woods. Driving is a, a very dangerous thing. And, and, you know, between us, Jeremy and I will most likely point out a number of stats today that uh, may surprise you. With that, one of the things I always try to mention so that people appreciate what we're up against, back in the 1970s, the United States was actually the safest place to drive in the world. Per capita, we had the lowest death rate compared to any other country. Jeremy, where are we generally today? Oh, we're at the the bottom of that list uh, pretty regularly in the the bottom uh, 10% or so. Exactly. So we tend to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 40th place. Maybe we bounce up to 38th or lower to 42nd, but it's not a good thing. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of folks talk about how here in the U.S. we treat driving like it's a right and not a privilege, you know, that's uh, potentially something that we can argue about. But it, the bottom line is there are other countries that enjoy far fewer crashes and have a much lower crash rate than we have here in the United States. So quick, before we get into some of the details specific to driving and the programs we offer, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what we do. In control is kind of divided up uh, into two pieces as far as how we accomplish our mission. And uh, the first one is community engagement. And uh, this is certainly an example of community engagement, getting some of this information out there to folks so they can appreciate how dangerous driving is. We do like to go into towns and talk to parent-teacher organizations, preferably interacting with the parents at this initial kind of evangelistic mode or engagement mode as opposed to trying to just talk to groups of students. Um, our goal with students is to train them and work with them in our hands-on program, which Jeremy will talk about in a second. But, you know, the community engagement can be the various media we've done. We've been on every TV station, every newspaper in Massachusetts, and try to get the word out about some driving tips and, and really just educate people, again, on just how dangerous driving is. We don't all realize that this is the number one killer of teenagers for sure, but for most of our lives, up through age you know, 40, 45, it's the number one cause of death. And there are opiates starting to you know, break that number in, in a certain age groups. But the reality is for most of our life, being in a vehicle is the most dangerous thing we do. Then we have our one-on-one -on -one or our uh, closed course hands-on training. And uh, Jeremy, can you tell us a little bit about what we do there? Yeah, so we, we offer a bunch of different courses that offer hands-on training. 
our most popular one and the one state certified, at least here in Massachusetts, is our Crash Prevention 101 program. And that entails uh, drivers of all different ages, but in this case, you know, we're looking mostly at teens, coming to our location and dealing with our vehicles on a closed course, learning how to avoid crashes in the most common type of crash situations and also the most dangerous types of crashes overall. And we do that through a, a number of different ways, but basically putting a student behind the wheel and actually giving them the uh, chance with a lot of coaching to avoid these real world situations and really teach them exactly how their vehicle works and how to utilize it properly to get the most from it. And we can go into that a little bit more later on, Dan, unless you want me to kind of touch on actual drills that we perform. Now, I, I think uh, we'll save some of that for as we get through uh, the breakdown of, of the approaches to teaching a teen how to drive. And I should revisit, you know, the goal of this program is for parents to help be more confident with training their teens. Uh, we realize not everyone is going to go through our program, whether they live on the other side of the country or uh, they can't fit it in their schedule. Uh, we want to emphasize we don't want money to be the issue. One of the real positive things about graduates our program is you know everyone qualifies for insurance discounts from a number of the different Massachusetts insurers that can really save you some significant money. But we also have financial aid. We do lots of things to try to make sure that this is an affordable program. More often than not, we find that people have difficulty working it into their schedule because we're so darn busy. And and frankly, if we can convince you that this this type of training is worthwhile, we hope you'll figure out a way to prioritize it and, and make it worthwhile, but or make it worth your time to come visit us. But the reality is, is we're not expecting you to necessarily train with us. We want you to hear about this program. And I should also mention it, and Jeremy, maybe you can go in a little bit of detail on some of the programs we've done where we visit schools and do some hands-on driving, but not having the teens drive themselves. Well, sure. Let me just add to uh, what we were talking about before. The, the in-control hands-on program is sort of aimed at what you as a parent can't do with your driver. And that's why we do it on a closed course with, you know, um, uh, really high quality instructors that really know what they're doing. It's uh, what you would love your student, your young driver to know, but you can't actually do with them. So at least on this podcast today, we're going to be concentrating and starting to look at as a parent of a new driver, a young driver, what can you do to prepare them best for the road? And then hopefully if you can't come visit us, there'll be something similar to us nearby you and you can still have your driver train that way as well. So as we go through podcasts, we'll talk about a bunch of different areas, but I think that's where we want to concentrate right now. Absolutely. And again, you know, in a, a perfect world, we get people to go through some of the hands-on training. But again, we have these programs we've brought to schools. We're not looking to just present to 500 students in the auditorium. Instead, we're actually bringing a vehicle or vehicles and using our instructors and having them put the students into emergency situations as passengers, maybe not necessarily in real life situations because we're going to do it in, in a parking lot, but it will feel like a real life situation and uh, providing them the opportunity to hear how the car is going to behave, feel how the car is going to behave, and frankly, just, you know, hopefully get their attention. One of the difficult things of being a parent is that you recognize, you know, this, these kids are invincible. At least that's what they think. And it's, it's a truly a, a chemical thing because they're going to be that way until somewhere into their mid-20s. And it's, it leads to maybe not the best decision-making skills possible. So 
Um, we want to try to chisel away at that invincibility and have them have some experiences they might not be able to get from traditional drivers that are certainly working with you. Yeah. So in these school visit programs, that's really exactly what we do is just give them a taste of the type of training we do. Uh, and even though they're not really being trained at that point, they get to experience it and see that, oh, it's actually, it's not hard to do. The car can handle it well when you know how to operate it properly. And the, the car really can you know stop quickly when it needs to, and it can be safely steered as well when it needs to. Um, so that's one of the ways we reach out uh, community engagement, but not really full training, give students kind of a taste of what's going on. And we've been doing that all over New England for uh, a number of years now. And one of the aspects of that training, as well as things that we do in our CP 101 or our Crash Prevention 101 course, uh, I always like to share this because it really does surprise me, uh, seatbelt use. So Massachusetts is improved a little bit um, over the years, but we've been within the last five years as low as 49th place in the nation for uh, wearing our seatbelt. And what we found is that teens in particular tend to not wear their seatbelts in higher numbers than you'd expect. They might wear them in the minivan with mom and dad and, and traveling around. And if their own parents don't wear them, they're far less likely to wear them. And we'll talk about that in a second. But as they get older and they have their own vehicle, uh, you know, we've asked these kids why they don't wear their seatbelt. And the universal reply is they don't plan to crash. And what scares us about that is we understand it. You know, they've been told their whole life, wear a seatbelt so you don't get hurt in a crash. And the point we're trying to make and what Jeremy will do with when, when he's acting as an instructor with these folks is show them that the purpose of that seatbelt goes beyond keeping you safe in a crash, but actually helps you avoid that crash in the first place. If we can hold you in place and help you stay behind the wheel, you're far less likely to lose control of the car. And that's something that as a parent, you may inherently know just because you've been driving for a while, but you may not. And getting that point across to, to new drivers is, is pretty valuable because we don't want them thinking the seatbelt is something that's optional. It's actually kind of an interesting phenomenon. When you ask a group of people what the main job of a seatbelt is, it really is almost universally uh, a, a response that it helps you uh, avoid injury in a crash. And once you simply talk about it holding you in place and allowing you to actually control the car, I like to say, you know, it allows you to be a good driver. It allows you to use the knowledge and skill base you have to actually control that vehicle. Um, everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. It does do that. And we just don't think of it that way. And it might be a cultural thing here in the United States because many other countries around the world look at seatbelts primary job as crash prevention, not necessarily, you know, safety in a crash. It does that, but almost secondary or in some cases it's its third uh, benefit. Because hopefully we avoid the crash in the first place. And Jeremy, I'll make sure people recognize that I've heard you instructing in our law enforcement classes and dealing with police officers who, you know, may attempt to justify the necessity to not wear their seatbelt because they expect to quickly get out of the vehicle and try to apprehend somebody. And I've personally spoken to a number of officers who've been through our training who have changed their mind with that because, frankly, the number of times they've had to chase down somebody compared to the number of times they've wanted to be in better control of the vehicle. Um, there's a, a lot of officers out there who told us they've been in crashes in the past that they're sure they could have avoided had they recognized how important it was having that seatbelt on. So, you know, that speaks to the different types of training we do. We, we're, we're not just training 
law enforcement. We're training, you know, for folks out there that have employees who drive. We have a variety of different classes that we offer them. But at the end of the day, the fundamentals are the same. We want seatbelts to be worn. We want people to have controllable speeds. And again, we'll talk more about the specifics of those train, training exercises as we go through this process. Not to stay too long on the, the seatbelt talk, but obviously it is a very important one. It seems very much whether it's a police department, a uh, some other commercial application, you know, course that we're doing, or just general open enrollment with a lot of teens and young drivers in the program or in, you know, in our program. When we talk about seatbelts, it's it tends to be a cultural type thing. So in a department, either the the culture is you wear your seatbelts or you don't wear your seatbelts, and it, it you know it can go as much as seventy five percent of them do or seventy five percent don't. And we find the same thing with, with with families. If your parents don't wear their seatbelt, then you generally are not going to wear yours either. Uh, you just don't see necessarily the value. And I think that almost leads into uh, one of the other things we wanted to make sure we talk about here, and that you already touched on, Dan was how we are modeling our driving to everybody else around us. And we tend to stay closer to what we, what we know and what our parents have done and what we've seen in the past. And so that can be, you know, something that, you know, you mentioned really parents that have young people that are not close to driving yet, you're already teaching them how to drive, right? Yeah. I like to really point out to parents, once they turn that car seat around, those kids are watching them. And uh, you've got to model the right behavior. And you might not recognize the little things that you do. You know, are you following too closely? Do you know what following too closely is? Are you getting aggressive? Are you speeding? Are you talking on your cell phone? Do you have the, are you texting or playing with the, the various apps that you have? Even a little nuance that we try to really, and you'll hear us as we kind of go through this podcast, we discourage people from using the term accident. You've probably heard Jeremy and I use the term crash multiple times now. Uh, Jeremy, can you describe the difference for us? Yeah. So an accident and a crash, they sound interchangeable, but when you really kind of break them down, they aren't. And one thing I like to point out too is how uh, about 15 years ago, most first responding groups, they no longer fill out, please don't fill out accident reports, right? They fill out crash reports now because it's even just the way we talk about it, that, that verbiage, that terminology changes how we think about the situation. So an accident, it does exist. They do happen. And that might look like uh, you're driving down the road and a, a tree limb falls off a car, uh, falls off the, the tree and hits your car, meaning you didn't have to do anything wrong for that to happen, right? It's a true accident. It's, a, it's nobody's fault. It really couldn't have gone any other way. A crash is different. When you rear end the car in front of you, that's a crash. There's really no way it could be an accident. Maybe you were falling too closely, maybe uh, exceeding the speed limit. Maybe you weren't paying attention, or maybe you simply didn't know how the brakes in your car actually worked, but all each one of those would still make it a crash. There would be responsibility um, on at least one of those two drivers. It would be somebody's fault. So the way I like to think of it, an accident means nobody had to make any mistakes or errors, but a crash, somebody made a mistake or an error. doesn't mean it was your fault necessarily, but it can still be a crash if it's somebody else's fault. So kind of the way I like to break it down and we like to think that accidents aren't necessarily preventable, but crashes absolutely are. There's a lot we can do to prevent those crashes. No, great points. And, and at the end of the day, before we wrap this up, kind of our introductory episode about what we're going to talk about, it's not easy as a parent to work with your teen. 
not just in driving, but in a lot of things. And so this time is important, though. I want to stress that in here in the state of Massachusetts, they encourage you to drive 40 hours with a new driver before they go for their license test. Um, in fact, years ago, they thought they were doing in control a favor, and they added some legislation that if you took uh, our course, you would be able to reduce the amount of hours that you have to drive with your team, and in control could kind of sign off on that. I'll be honest with you, we don't sign off on that. We Any parent who calls me and asks me if we'll sign the document, I tell them the reality is I want them to drive 100 hours with their team. It's more important to spend time behind the wheel than almost anything else. So we want to give them the skills. A traditional driver's ed school is going to help them with the basic operation of the vehicle, the rules of the road, and, and certainly some of the skills that are necessary to keep them safe. And if you combine those with as much time as you can possibly work in, every family trip, you want to have that young driver driving, every drive back and forth to school, you know, they want to try different things. They want to be driving in the rain. They want to be driving in the snow. They want to be driving, you know... Once you give them that license, the reality is, is they can get behind the wheel by themselves and they have to be prepared. And if they are just okay, that does not mean they're prepared. Um, We see uh, a lot of students, new drivers crash in the first two years after they got their license. That number is somewhere between 60 and 75% of new drivers are crashing the first couple of years after getting their license. And it doesn't need to be that way. Again, I reference these other countries that take this driving thing more seriously. Those of us here in Massachusetts, that road test is going to last between three and five minutes. It's a union thing, so it really can't be more than five minutes with all the paperwork and everything else they need to do. And that five-minute judgment is what they have to go on to determine if somebody gets to go go out on the roads by themselves and operate a vehicle. That's something that we hope someday changes. You look at other countries, and some of the countries like Germany, where you have a one-hour road test. You have to prove that you can stay in control of the car on city streets, on highways, and then literally go into a private area and put the car into a skid and show that you can regain control. Uh, And where we are here with the type of learning that goes into us getting our license, if that was the road test, I think we'd all be taking buses because there's just not that type of instruction going on with all of our new drivers. Jeremy, before we kind of wrap this up, is there anything else kind of as an instruction to the In Control Family Foundation and our crash prevention training that you want to make sure people recognize? Well, I think you said a lot of it, Dan. It's just for parents of new drivers, it can be so hard, right? I mean, it's it's a scary thing. They get very nervous. And so the best thing you can do is really take it seriously, even before it's time for them to actually uh, get their permit. But if you know we're starting with you now and you're in the middle of that process, just think about, you know, none of us, we don't know what we don't know. And especially when you're a teenager, you think you know everything. So it becomes that much harder. And you can have the overconfident um, young driver. You can have the, the extremely timid, really scared new driver. And so you, you, you want to make sure you really concentrate on the fundamentals, what's really important, um, taking it slow, but making sure that they, before they go for that license test, because of how simple and easy it is, you don't actually have to be prepared to be able to get to actually get your license. But that's not your goal. It's not to just get them a license. It's to make them safe. It's to give them the best chance they can possibly have out there. And so just really every time, like Dan said, every time you drive, excuse me, every time you have to go somewhere, they should be driving and make sure that they uh, see everything, like you said. And the only other thing I'd point out is, is making sure you use all the resources that are available online. 
there's so many different ones. And one of the ones we're going to use in, in future podcasts here, Dan, is that the, the parents supervised driving program guide. If you've stayed on this podcast so far, I think you're you're engaged. You want to make sure that you keep your family safe and your, your teen safe. And that's our objective is to kind of present some of this stuff in a somewhat entertaining manner. Uh, again, I, I'm not one who's going to make jokes about crashes or uh, irresponsible driving, but we will try to keep this fun and entertaining. Uh, we do intend to have Emily Stein from Safe Roads Alliance, who's responsible for that guide, on our next episode where we're going to kind of introduce what that guide is and tell you where you can find it. And again, if you've stayed on this long, hopefully we can get you into that podcast. And ultimately, we just want to help you keep the roads safer for your own family and for your community and uh, appreciate you taking the time to listen with us today. On that note, we'll sign off. I do want to add one quick thing just so that you understand the perspective. Uh, it The current uh, date is March 25th, 2020. And while we don't expect the approach to safe driving to change dramatically, the world has been a little bit more interesting the last couple of weeks than it had been before. And as we deal with this COVID-19 pandemic, we are trying to put good use to some of the time that we have available since we're not out in communities and not uh, doing our, our normal training. So uh, we're not going to plan to dwell too much on the situation that uh, brings us here today, but I want to make sure I recognize that in case you uh, hear us refer to anything that's going on. So Jeremy, thank you for your time today and we will hear you in the next episode and we hope to have you as a listener back. 